Hi, and welcome to Meet My Followers, episode number 26 for September 9th, 2010. I am your host, Kate Dworkin, and on this episode of Meet My Followers, I am joined by Michael Barber, at Michael J. Barber. Once again, I have to thank Solvate for sponsoring this show. Are you a consultant or freelancer at the top of your field? Solvate is actively building the country's premier on-demand workforce. I've been an active member on Solvate for a little while now, so come on and enjoy myself and the other top independent professionals by creating your profile in the Solvate Talent Engine today. Just head on over to Solvate.com. Today's guest is another one of those Phoenix internet community folks that I've grown to appreciate and like a whole heck of a lot. His name is Michael J. Barber. Michael, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Cade. Glad to be here. So, you know, one of the, the touchstones in these interviews has always been me stepping way back and letting people introduce themselves. Would you mind doing so now? Absolutely. Um, my name is Michael Barber. I am a digital marketing strategist located here in Tempe. Uh, grew up in San Diego, first generation American. My parents moved here to the States about 33 years ago from England. Went to the U of A, University of Arizona, go Wildcats, and that's what brought me to Arizona and got a job right out of college at a uh, local Phoenix agency that brought me up here, and I have been here for, let's see here, six years almost. Goodness, so yeah, you, you're starting to get a feel for all the hot summers you can take. Yeah, well, the, you know, one of the reasons we like living here is although we get the hot summers, we're only, you know, an hour, you know, an hour flight from California or five-hour drive so we can get out to the cool weather when we need to. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, one of the, the big things that I've always kind of loved interacting with you on is the, the, your thought process on digital, right? You, you've, you've worked with a lot of different companies to yeah. uh, help them begin to get digital. Can you talk about your experiences, you know, bringing people to the, the social web, the, the online marketing game plan? Yeah, absolutely. So when I started my career, I was a traditional media planner and um, very quickly realized that I wanted to work on the digital side, and luckily enough, I worked for an agency that had both of those. That was Mighty and Off Medicine Ave. So I got exposed to both buying on the traditional side and on the digital side, and then went to an agency, little-known agency at the time, but more well-known these days, uh, called Sightwire. And they were Pulte Homes' uh, lead generation agency of record, and quickly got immersed in customer acquisition and lead generation strategies on the digital side and have been doing that pretty much ever since. So my experience is less on the branding and creative side in terms of advertising and more on how do you generate leads for a, for a business online and then how do you actually convert someone when they get to your website or to your digital channel. Gotcha. And, and talk to me about some of your experience in that. I mean, obviously you're used to, you know, typical conversion rate funnels, right? Um, You know, but what are some of the interesting and fun things that you've done in order to kind of help people engage with the brands that you're working with? Yeah, absolutely. So typically when when we work with clients, I think one of the things that, you know, the things you learn very quickly is that, um, you know, you see large companies do these amazing national level campaigns. And what you don't, I don't think a lot of people realize is how much more effective locally based advertising campaigns can be, especially on a digital front. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that I've learned very quickly working with some bigger companies that they can see huge returns and higher conversion rates when they really start to target and localize their advertising spend. And that's not only just giving their individual markets the ability to set their budgets and move things where they need to go, 
because that allows those markets to dictate exactly what they seeing what what they're seeing work in their particular market. So one of the things that you know, and I, th I wouldn't have even realized that going into this business from the beginning, um, and it's been one of the sort of aha moments from the very beginning is looking at how well you can take a campaign from sort of meager to amazing by just looking at data on a localized level and really uh, utilizing or changing your digital digital marketing tactics and how you convert people on particular pages based on where they actually live or what type of person they are. That's really smart, and it's something that I've actually experienced with this show in particular, right? And to see where people are downloading things from and, and kind of how I can reach to them more effectively. So it's interesting to hear that that was your experience with these large corporations that you previously worked with. Yeah, it's definitely something that you wouldn't have thought of, uh, you know, just getting into this business. Mm -hmm. You sort of the look at you look at the glitz and glam of the big advertising campaigns from the large New York and LA agencies and think, oh, we just have to replicate that and. Um, it's certainly not the case, um, you know, both on a traditional and on a digital level, but more so on a digital level because you start to see, you're able to look at so much additional data um, when you're looking at search campaigns and email campaigns and things of that nature. You seem to really, you know, hone a lot of your marketing stuff on data, it seems, uh, that, you know, you really dig into the analytics of the actions that you recommend to brands. Is that is that really the case? Yeah, so um, my degree, I actually double majored in communication and business management. And, you know, when you get a, people think uh, the natural reaction when I say communication is sort of the fluff degree. And, you know, if you actually see what a communication degree does, you look at analytical and research data around communication. So my background and my degree area was really grounded in analytical, uh, an analytical background and, and all seeped in data. So um, that was something that I'd had from a very early start in life and continued in college and sort of how that's how, how I have approached sort of my career in advertising is just making sure that any decisions that we are making uh, are around the data that we're seeing. That's really smart. And then what are some of the tools that you're using for anything, you know, from social media, you know, to tracking on, on website, you know, to email conversions, things like that? What are the tools that you're using? Yeah, so back in the day, it would have been Urchin, right? So, yeah. you know, years and years and years ago, you would have been on these old urchin platforms, but today we, you know, our agency we utilize a, and agencies that I've worked in the past utilizes a variety of different um, analytical-based tools on the website of web analytics. Uh, you know, anything from Google Analytics to Omniture Site Catalyst to Web Trends, things of that nature. Um, on the search, uh, on the social side, excuse me. Um, rate, I'm a big fan of Scout Labs, but I've had a little bit of experience with Radiant Six and some of the others that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, um, email, you know, it really just depends on what type of business you are, how big you are, how big your lists are, but anything from, you know, vertical response to campaign monitor to exact target. Sure. Um, and then on the display side, I've had a lot of good experience using a, a company called True Effect. Um, I think it's probably the best display serving, ad serving mechanism that any, you know, sort of mid-market to large organization can utilize because it allows you to do a lot of excluding of your current um, your current customers. So you can really target and you know reduce um, ad impression waste by utilizing that particular platform. That's really interesting. That's actually a name that I wasn't familiar with. So I'm even getting something out of uh, this interview, which is always a nice little side thing for me. Yeah, but, learn something new every day, right? Absolutely. Uh, that's that's part of the reason why I love doing this podcast so much. Uh, but you know what? We've talked really extensively about kind of your work background, but that isn't all that there is to you. No, no, certainly Do you want not. to talk about some of your hobbies and interests? Yeah, absolutely. So um, locally, I help with Ignite Phoenix yes. and then sort of outside the local 
market. Um, two of my passions are dogs and um, multiple sclerosis. My father was diagnosed with MS about 10 years ago and have worked with both, both the national chapter and the Arizona chapter here on some initiatives. And then we have a dog called McDougal, which if you follow me, I occasionally tweet about him with some cute and fun pictures or video. Yeah. And we also help uh, work with a organization called California or Westie Rescue of California. And they also serve about seven additional Western states. And we help with sort of the Arizona, the Arizona outreach here. So we rescue West Highland White Terriers on occasion and uh, foster them and then get them adopted into homes. That's one of the, the amazing things that um, I, I ended up finding out about you at, actually in the most recent uh, social media club, Phoenix, was that you were involved in that because that's something that you had taken over your life in one respect and the fact that you had uh, picked up a puppy and it sounded like, uh, yeah, that was an interesting experience. Yeah, so, you know, Dog Rescue is a fun and amazing and rewarding uh, thing to do, activity and a way to give back, but it also has its surprising moments. You know, you never know what type of dog you're going to get when you're going out there to get one from an owner that's relinquishing it or pick it up on, off the street. Um, it is really sort of, it can be greater, you know, or not so great. But the good thing is, is if you, you know, if you sort of know what you're doing and you get used to rescuing dogs, one of the things that I always tell people is that you can literally turn a dog 180 degrees from the place that they were or the type of dog that they were when you first started out with them. Um, you know, dogs are, they, they really are creatures of their environment. And when you can get them out of an environment that's bad for them, you can see them just grow and, and come out of their shells and leaps and bounds. It's one of the more rewarding things that Tammy, my fiance, and I do. So. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's talk a second about uh, Tammy, your fiance, because you know she's. You tweet a lot about you know you guys going out and doing things together. Yeah. Uh, I, I always enjoy seeing that because you know she's one of the people who I don't think I've actually met, but I feel like I know because you reference her so often in what you're doing. She, I don't know if she'd be happy about that. She's, um, you know, when Twitter first came out and social media started to really uh, grow, you know two or three years ago, Tammy was very anti-Twitter. And what I, what I helped to realize was that of how much it could do for her. And she's really actually blossomed in a particular vertical within the social space and fashion. That's sort of her um, side passion and has really built a, a core following and is blogging on multiple fashion blogs and on uh, different retailers' blogs these days. But Tammy was very anti-sharing of our personal life. But now that she's a part of it, you know, we sort of, you know, tell everybody what we're doing, where we're going, especially around food. Um, we tend to eat out uh, a lot. We're kind of amateur foodies. And I love sharing my experiences when we're out eating, you know, what we may be eating or, you know, showing, you know, taking a twit pic of a, you know, clean plate because of the food was so good. So, yeah, we share a lot of the places that we end up. That, that, that's the interesting part, right? I mean, much like Chris Lee, you know, who's another foodie in the, the Phoenix internet community, you know, to see people like you and to be like, okay, hey, you know what, that, they seem to be having a great time at that restaurant. I'll file that in the back of my head because if it's good on your guys' scale, it'll be outrageous on mine. Yeah, I think on a local level, the one thing that Twitter and other social media tools have done is just exposed me to how much, how many things and places there are to go in Phoenix. I mean, you know, living in here that, you know, unless you uh, unless you've been here for years and years and years, there are places that you've never heard of. There are nooks and crannies. There are these mom and pop places that you would have never known of if you if we wouldn't have had tools like Twitter and some of the other sort of location based apps that are out there, um, because, you know, this city is just far too spread out 
to know what's out there and you rely on other people that you trust and have met over the past couple of years to sort of expose you to all these different places that may be out there. It's super smart that we're, you know, distributing that load across everybody in the valley because we all live all over the place. Right. And so yes. to be able to yeah. sit there and see that because, you know, Phoenix is one of the most spread out cities away from probably Los Angeles that I've ever been to. Oh, it's just crazy. I don't think many people realize how large sort of geographically geographically this this particular city is or the greater metro area is. Sure. Yeah. And it's great that, you know, we've got people all over now, but uh, bringing it back kind of full circle to the other things that you're involved in uh, is uh, the Ignite Phoenix side of life, which is, you know, one of these things that I took part in and I've been to a handful of them now. And every time it blows me away by not only the presentations, but the people behind the scenes. And, and since you are one of those critical people, I would love to hear what your involvement is and, and, and how you're gearing up for uh, the next one. Yeah, so my involvement started with uh, Jeff Moriarty, who's one of sort of the, the starters of uh, the Ignite Phoenix uh, crew here in, here in our area. And he just said, hey, do you want to come help and volunteer? I said, sure. So I, uh, the first Ignite that I, well, started going to Ignite at Ignite 2, and then the first Ignite that I actually helped with was Ignite 4, and I passed out uh, flyers, uh, agendas that evening. I was actually asking Tammy to marry me that night, so I couldn't give Jeff everything that I could volunteer for all the time in the world. Um, but anyway, the following night uh, was Ignite Phoenix uh, 5, and I got to help with that one in the, in the background. And then 6 rolled along, and it was going to be at the Phoenix Art Museum, and Jeff said, hey, do you want to... Do you want to lead this one? And I thought, oh, I can do this. No big deal at all. You know, we're going to a brand new place, not even a theater that's set up for the type of environment that we typically go after. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. I can take I can be program manager. No big deal. Um, so took on leading Ignite 6, which was a tremendous pleasure and pain in the butt as, <laughs> as possible, because we were going into a space that was that was while it was beautiful and amazing and um, uh, and just fantastic. It was not a traditional theater that we had had in the past. And you sort of had to pull all those elements that you expect when you're coming to a theater environment into the space. And there were so many more sort of intangibles that, you know, we learn something every single time that this team and these group of volunteers that I get to work with, every single time we put on an, an Ignite, we learn something new. And this one was a huge learning curve because we had not, we were not in a traditional theater environment. Uh, but we got through it and it was fantastic and amazing. And now we're getting ready for Ignite Phoenix 8, which will be at the Scottsdale Center for the Performing Arts in about a month. Yeah, it's it's shocking that it's already racing up on everybody, and and so it I, is. Yeah, I, it's one of these things where I'm always in awe of the just the event, right? I mean, having you know, like I said, been to a couple and then presented, and then you know, been in, been to a couple more. Um, it's been very interesting to watch it continue to grow, and I know that you've enjoyed that experience, you know, both behind the scenes and as part of you know the audience. Um, yep. it, it, it's amazing that you guys are moving to a theater that seats more than, I believe, it's 750 people. Yeah, it's, it's actually 850 people, Jeez. so um, it's going to be quite the difference. And I think the, the success of Ignite Phoenix has really been, um, you know, really been driven by the community and the group of volunteers that's behind it. You know, one of the things that I think our group does well, the, that, that, the, the planning group, is that we all have our own individual strengths, and we just let each other run with those strengths. Um, you know, somebody go, does video well, somebody does um, project management well. And we just rely on each other to know that our jobs are going to get done. And we rely on the community to help help lift us up because ultimately we are only successful as uh, as the people that are around us and supporting us. And luckily enough, the community has really embraced 
Ignite Phoenix to the point that we need to go to a little bit of a larger location. Um, but that larger location is always an interesting, um, sorry, I have a, I have a Westie in front of my face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that going to a larger venue is always an interesting argument that we have within the group because we want to make sure that it's intimate enough that you really connect with the speakers that are on stage sure. and, um, and that we don't feel like you, you know, you're sort of lost and this becomes an entertainment venue rather than just being a place where you can really hear people come talk about their passions and what makes them get out of bed every single morning. So that's always a constant struggle. But I think 850 will be a nice sweet spot for us. I, I think so as well, right? I mean, having done, you know, Ignite Phoenix, uh, I think it was four or five, um, you know, to, to be able to jump on there and see, you know, kind of where that's at and watch it continue to grow. I think that that's a good number. Um, and I think that it'll give people the opportunity to hear uh, people who wouldn't have been exposed to the Ignite Phoenix movement to come in anyways. I think so too. Hopefully, we won't hear the uh, "I didn't get a ticket" excuse this time. You know, I think it'll be the right the right number to be at. I sure hope so. Well, you know, Michael, one of the things that I always love doing on this show is getting people to kind of shine the spotlight on the people who inspire them, who they you know get a laugh from regularly on Twitter or just on the social platforms on a whole. So, who are some of those people for you? Um, you know, from sort of. Uh the sort of thought leaders that I follow, I mean, you've had some of these people on, on your program already, and that's Jason Bear, Jay Bear, at Jay Bear on Twitter, um, Olivier Blanchard, um, at The Brand Builder, um, in terms of the social space, um, you know, people that I follow for, you know, funnies uh, in this particular market, there's there's just so many. I mean, we have a really cynical crowd here in, here in Phoenix. That's true. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, there's, there's a few out there, and I'm sure you know about them, but... Really, um, I try and keep pretty updated lists on, on, on Twitter in my profile of people that I follow and people I think are sort of thought leaders in the space and, and local individuals. So if anybody is looking for those, they're, they're available in my Twitter profile. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely link to those inside of the show notes. Well, Michael, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Kate. I appreciate it. It was, uh, it was fun being here. Yeah, I try and make it as painless as I possibly can. <laughs> Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Meet My Followers. Please go and follow Michael over at Michael J. Barber on Twitter. And then uh, make sure that you're following him to uh, kind of support some of the causes that he's a part of. Because he's just a, an all-around great guy and someone who I, I respect immensely. So go out there, guys, and have a phenomenal day.